So this morning we're in Luke chapter 14, and I'll turn to that without really much word of introduction to it. We've been in Luke 14 for a couple of weeks now, and, and we will continue there. Jesus is at a house party um, on the Sabbath, a, a lunch party with some religious leaders, and we're continuing with that narrative there in Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things... He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we uh, give you thanks again that you've given us your word, and we trust you for it because it's your word and not ours. And We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would change us, persuade us, convict us, convince us of your true word and enable us, Father, by your grace to follow after you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. John Stott told the story of an Eastern European couple during the Second World War, a husband and wife, who found political asylum here in the United States. They spent some time learning some English. Their English was not great, but it was getting better. And, and eventually, after they'd acclimated somewhat to their new neighborhood here in the U.S., they received from a neighbor a wedding invitation And at the bottom of that written invitation were the letters RSVP. They did not know what that meant. And so the husband, in his thick Eastern European accent, asked his wife, he said, Wife, what does it mean, RSVP? His wife didn't know either. And so he thought about it for a moment. And then he said, Wife, I know what it means. Remember, send vetting present. That's not what it means. So what does it mean? You you see those letters on an invitation. Maybe less so nowadays that Evite has overtaken all invitations. But you see those letters, RSVP. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to go all hoity-toity French on you this morning. Répondez, s'il vous plaît. Now, French was not my language besides English growing up. Spanish was my language, and 
I don't know much French. I did know s'il vous plaît, but now you know a few words of French. Répondez, s'il vous plaît, R-S-V-P. Respond, if you please. That's what it means. Respond, if you please. An invitation has been extended, and your response is requested. Here, Jesus tells a parable about RSVPs in order to once again correct a false estimation by a guest at this Sabbath day lunch party. Now, last week we had looked at the previous verses, of course, and we had seen there that Jesus is at this Sabbath meal at the house of a religious leader, presumably after the synagogue service, I guess, and and, uh, they've gathered together. He's not the only one. There's a guest list involved, and all of them are watching Jesus closely to see what he's going to do. They've set him up, in fact, with a man who needs a healing, and we saw that last week. But he was watching them more closely than they were watching him. And what did he see? We saw that they were deeply and tragically even underestimating God. He saw that they were content with their own law-keeping, and so they had failed to see their need for God's compassion. They were eager for their own worldly ladder-climbing, and so they had failed to see God's generous provision. And they were determined to be paid back for their efforts because they had failed to see God's gracious promises. And seeing all of these problems, Jesus had begun to point out all these problems and created some serious social tension in the room where they'd gathered for this feast. And so here in verse 15, one guest makes an effort to relieve the tension. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's an effort to smooth the rough waters, so to speak, to patch up this fractured social scene by finding some common ground. In other words, look, we all have our own opinions, Jesus, but won't it be great when we all are together in God's kingdom, sitting at the table, united together? Regardless of our different opinions now, let's just look forward to that. And Jesus responds, and I guess he's on a roll here. He's not so concerned to smooth out the waters. He responds in a way to suggest, don't be so sure, sir, that you will be there. God's kingdom involves an invitation, and a response has been requested. And what response you give will depend on how you view this invitation. I want to suggest to you, Here, that there are three different views to think about, three different ways to view this invitation. One is this, it's a thoughtful invitation that has been carefully prepared. Now, to be fair, this man who makes this statement and speaks to Jesus was right. Truly, truly blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. That is a statement of fact, indisputable truth. So to be fair to the man, what he said was right, but this awkward peacemaking statement actually ignores what Jesus had addressed before this man spoke. That because these people had underestimated God, they had failed to see his compassion and his generosity and his grace. And one 
cannot simply expect to dine in the kingdom of God without seeing those things. And so the parable begins, verse 16. So Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now this is a parable. And parables tend to have characters in them that represent something or someone much greater, more significant than the character in the parable. And so here's a man who is preparing a great banquet, a mega feast, Luke records it as. And he is inviting many, many people. His guest list is very long. It's an extensive guest list, so long, in fact, that Luke doesn't attend, and Jesus apparently doesn't attend to the details of it. He simply says many. He's invited many. And who do you think this character is? It's God, right? And that should stand out to you and You should be able to recognize this character is God himself. And what is this great banquet that this man is preparing to throw? Well, it's it's the kingdom of God itself. It's the coming of God's kingdom. And you know that because of the man's statement. He said, blessed is everyone who's going to eat at the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, all right, then let me tell you something about that kingdom. Here's this man preparing a great banquet to throw. The kingdom of God is a party. It's a party that has been carefully prepared for ages and ages and ages. In fact, Isaiah 25 describes it to us. Isaiah there writes these words, Lord, I praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. You will subdue the enemy and you will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and of fine wine. Isaiah there is simply looking forward to the kingdom of God yet to come. And he goes on to explain and describe one of the great highlights of that party. He says that God will swallow up death forever. God at that party is going to do one of the greatest party tricks that could ever be imagined. He's going to swallow death. He's going to take away Every grief that you can imagine. There's great reason to celebrate at this party. And the invitations for this party are thoughtful. In fact, they are ages in the making. This man had invited many, Jesus says. And this is the initial invitation for this party. This was kind of the custom of the day. The the host would send out an invitation and let people know, I'm preparing a party. And then When the party was ready, they'd send out a second invitation to call people to come to the party. And this was the initial invitation. And so think of it in terms of the bigger scope of the the biblical story. 2,000 years before this parable was told, God had invited Abraham to a party. And he had told Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants to be as many as the stars in the sky, Abraham. There will be many, many people at this party and on behalf of the family that God would raise up, Abraham in faith had accepted the invitation to the party. And then throughout the Old Testament, God made preparations for that party as history unfolded according to God's providential design. And now the time had come and his servant Jesus went out to tell the guests that the party was ready. But the guest list doesn't 
just include Israel. Remember, God had told Abraham, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Isaiah 49, you heard earlier, Isaiah said, it's too light a thing for me to send you, my servant, just to call Judah, Israel, Jacob, back to me. I'll make you a light to the nations too. And so the New Testament tells us that God's invitation was so thoughtful that it reached back to before time began. So in John chapter 17, verse 24, we read Jesus describing it this way. He says, in praying to God, He says, Father, I desire that those You've given Me might see the glory that You gave to Me because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the means of our invitation to the party, and Jesus is acknowledging to the Father, You loved Me. You had formed this invitation before the world began. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, the apostle gets into the, the game. He says, Christ Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last days for the sake of us who believe. In other words, when Jesus came, when the servant came with the second invitation, God had known since before the foundation of the earth that this party was being formed, and he knew who was on the guest list. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 1, verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2.9, Paul writes it this way. He says, God saved us and called us not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Did you guys see the news this past week in the newspaper about the... Uh, or online, whatever your news source is, about the astronomers and their great excitement for their, not discovery, but their, their um, publication of a photograph from the data from eight different telescopes and with some colorizing tricks that they managed to, to pull together, they, they created the first ever photo image of a black hole, one of those celestial vacuum cleaners that just hangs out there in space somewhere with such unimaginable density and gravitational pull that it sucks everything around it in, including light. And so they tend to be pretty dark. And so I'm not quite sure how they pulled off this trick to make the thing look like a Krispy Kreme donut and put it in the newspaper, but they did. And the scientists were absolutely giddy. They're so excited to see this mythical deep space phenomenon. You know, they can't really determine the age of a black hole. It's very much of a mystery. But this particular one, they suggest, is very, very large. Millions of times the density of our own sun. And much larger. And so, presumably very, very old. Maybe almost as old as the universe itself. It's remarkable to imagine that thing out in space. But you know what? It's not as old as the invitation that God has prepared for those that He loves. And that should make you marvel. That should make you marvel at the grace of God. Scientists struggle to wrap their minds around the nature of a black hole. And it's just a, a fragment of space that God called into existence by the word of His power at the moment of creation. And yet before that moment... Your name was written 
on an invitation in his outgoing mail. That's remarkable. He has invited, he has called you, he has prepared a feast, he sent his servant to say, come. But if you don't see that it's a thoughtful invitation, then you run the risk of seeing it as a presumed invitation. A presumed invitation, and if you do, you will flippantly dismiss it. So, the party's ready, and the guests have been notified, and how do they respond? Well, they all, Jesus says in the parable, alike begin to make excuses. Now, some invitations are met with legitimate excuses. A few years ago, my college buddies invited, well, mutually, all of us, as we do once a year, to a weekend gathering in Nashville, Tennessee, where we get together kind of for an annual reunion and football game and such. And they managed with their own schedules to arrange it on the weekend when I would be coaching my first grade son's last soccer game of the season. And I said to my friends, guys, I love you, but I love my son more. I ain't going to be there. There are some invitations that are met with legitimate excuses. But for this invitation, there are no legitimate excuses. There are none. In fact, no excuses will be given except for people who presume that they are better than, that they are above the party that's being thrown. So help me out here and take a look at these excuses and see, see what you think about them. Verse 18, one of those excuses is this, I bought a field and I must go look at it. Please excuse me. Now, is that a good excuse? No, it's a terrible excuse. If you've bought a field, you've already been to see it before you bought it. I mean, you're not going to buy it unseen. And even if you did make that silly mistake, you can go see it tomorrow. It's going to be there tomorrow. Nobody's going to take your field away. It's going to be there, right? How about the next one? Verse 19, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to examine them. Please excuse me. Is that a good excuse? No. It's a terrible excuse because you're not going to, again, you're not going to buy a yoke of oxen sight unseen. If you do, then you're asking for trouble, right? Surely this guy had already been to see the oxen. He's already gone and kicked the, the tires. He's kicked their hooves and he's taken hold of their horns and he's, you know, opened their mouth to look in their, their teeth or whatever you do with an ox, I don't know. He's already done those things and now he's got to go look at them again. This is a ridiculous excuse. What about the next one, verse 20? A little trickier. I've married a wife. I can't come. Is that a good excuse? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'd be curious what you say. Some of you would be tempted to say, well, honey, that's a good excuse, I promise. It's a terrible excuse. It's a horrible excuse for a couple of reasons. For one, women like parties too, and so bring your wife along. Or even if it was just an all-men's party, which could have been the case in that day, the guy would have known he was getting married when he accepted the invitation to the party because, you, you know, you don't just get married on the fly. Certainly not back in these days, you don't. And so he would have known when he accepted the invitation. These are lame excuses. They're terrible. I mean, they're on a par with saying, I can't come because I got my finger stuck in a bowling ball. Or I can't come because the refrigerator fell on me. Or I can't come because my dog is having a mental breakdown. I can't come because I flushed my car keys down the toilet. I can't come because there's an alligator in my living room. I can't come because I might get the hiccups. 
That's what these invitations are like. I mean, if, if somebody replied to your invitation with one of those excuses, what would you think? That's lame. That's absurd. In fact, it's insulting. Usually, why do people give lame excuses? Because they think they are better than the invitation. They think they're above it. They think they've got more important things to do. They, they presume that they, of course, are on the guest list and they have better things to do. What had happened at that Sabbath lunch gathering? You remember last week we looked at it as Jesus watched these people. He had noticed how all the guests chose the places of honor. They presumed that they deserved to be there. In fact, they all thought they were the guest of honor. They were presumptuous. And the Pharisees presumed that they should be on any religious guest list. And so they are, really almost without exception, unimpressed with Jesus and his invitation to God's kingdom. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling his disciples. You can read there about his calling of Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. And Levi responds quickly to follow Jesus. And and Levi responds by calling together a party. He hosted a great feast in his own home for Jesus and for a bunch of tax collectors and others were told there, which, you know, let your mind wander. I mean, the tax collector, the Pharisees considered a tax collector to be a white-collar criminal. And so Matthew had this party for Jesus and all these, these, these criminals, and the Pharisees grumbled at it of course, complaining, why do you eat with these people? And Jesus had said to them, look, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so the servant has come to notify the invited people in the parable that the party is ready. And some of the invited think that they are above the invitation. And if you think you're above the invitation, then you're going to make a lame excuse to avoid it. The invitation to come into the kingdom of God is the invitation of all invitations. There is no other invitation that's greater than this one. And so there is no legitimate excuse to refuse it. And yet, like the Pharisees, many people make many excuses. Christianity will cramp my lifestyle. I'm not interested, not yet. Or Christianity is just a crutch. It's a philosophical crutch, and I don't need philosophical crutches. I'm smarter than that, so no. Or Christianity is what my parents believe, and they're old-fashioned, and I'm going to be more progressive than they are. That's one. Now, with all due sensitivity to people and their excuses, some of them don't seem so lame on the surface. There are many people who would say something like this, the church is full of hypocrites. And I don't trust hypocrites, so I don't want to be a part of that. Okay, I get it. It is. It's full of hypocrites. we got room for one more. Come on. Or even worse, some might say, my father was a preacher and my father was a cruel man. That has happened plenty, sadly. And so it goes for many people. I get it. But even such excuses don't point out any illegitimacy of God who sent the invitation It simply points out the inconsistencies of people who struggle what it means to accept the invitation. There's no excuse for turning down God's invitation. None can be legitimate. So if you recognize the thoughtfulness of the invitation, then you'll presume nothing 
and instead see that it's a surprise invitation. It's a surprise invitation that is to be gratefully cherished. So, verse 21, The servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. His invitation mattered greatly to this master of the house. It was very important to him. And so these lame excuses made him angry, but he persisted. He persisted. This party will go on because there are others to invite yet. So the master of the house in this parable is God, right? That's who he is. And, and what about those who are invited first? There are those guests who are first invited to the party. Who are they? I don't think it's any stretch to say these are the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. These, these are even Israel itself. The first invited ones, as I described earlier, Abraham and so on. And they had said yes as a body of people, and then their leaders had said no. Well, then who are the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame? I don't know if it's stretching the parable too far to say. You know, these are probably other Israelites who are out in the countryside who maybe have never really said yes to God. They've never been really engaged with the covenant activities of their nation as Israel and So they're out on the periphery. But then there are the people that are out on the highways and the hedges. Who are those? Even the poor and the blind, the crippled and the lame, that's not enough to fill the house. We've got to go out and get more. How about go further out to the highways and the hedges and get those people? Who are they? Well, I imagine probably the Gentiles, the Romans, the nations. Isaiah 49, it's too light a thing for you to go to Jacob and Israel only. I'll make you a light to the nations. And, you know, that's, that's you and me. That's us. We are the people out on the highways and the hedges. And so we should be surprised that this invitation comes to us at all. If those first invited can be uninvited because of their presumption, then we who hide in the highways and the hedges should recognize We're not worthy of an invitation like this one. But if you do, then there's an even danger even in this. If you recognize that you're unworthy of it, there's there's a danger still. Because if you recognize that you're unworthy of an invitation like this, you are just as likely as the presumptuous to make a lame excuse to avoid it. I've told you this story before, but Mary and I, my wife and I, went to college together. We met there in college. She was two years ahead of me in college, one year older, but two classes ahead of me. And when I was a sophomore, she was a senior, and she was very popular on our small campus, not because she tried to be, but because she talked to anyone and everyone. She cared about everybody, and she would talk to anybody. And When you do that, when you are willing to talk to anyone and everyone, you become popular over the course of time. And she'd done that for three years, and she was very well-loved on that campus. And in our culture, the way that we corporately 
you know, acknowledge that kind of love as we nominate somebody for the homecoming court. So she was nominated for the homecoming queen court in the fall of my sophomore, her senior year. And one time I was walking with her to uh, a Bible study with a big crowd of students, and, and she learned that she'd been nominated, and she turned to me and she said, Colin, if, if that's true, if I've been nominated for this, and I'd love for you to be my date. I was a sophomore, she was a senior, and I thought, oh, you know, I mean, she didn't really want to go with me. She's just being nice to me. She, I'm with her, and she didn't want me to feel left out, so she's asking me, and I'm going to give her an out. And I said, I can't, i got to study. Yeah, I did. I know. You can, you can throw tomatoes at me all day long. Because if you feel unworthy, you're going to make a lame excuse to get out of the invitation. It's the same thing here. I mean, you're going to make a lame excuse. You're going to say to God, God, thanks for the invitation, but I've got nothing to offer you. I'm just a sophomore. You're going to say that if you feel unworthy. But that's exactly the point of the gospel, isn't it? That's why the invitation sounds like this. Written on this invitation is this. Come, all you who are thirsty, without money and without cost, come and buy and eat and drink your fill at this feast in the kingdom of God. you got no money. you got nothing to offer. But come and eat and drink. It's why Jesus had said, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, a little P.S. at the end of that story. I did get to marry the homecoming queen later. So maybe I humbled myself and I was exalted. I don't know if that's you know, the right, right application of this truth. Do you, do you see how this great banquet mattered so much to the master of the house? He was intent on filling his house. He sent them out to the highways and the hedges. He said, compel them to come in and fill my house. Not because he was lonely, but because these are his children and he loves them and he knows what's good for them. I I asked Steve Bagby's permission to tell you this story. I have to tell you this story. The baptism this morning almost got postponed. It almost didn't happen today because Steve was out of town. He was in Toronto, Canada for work this past week. And he was scheduled to fly back to Dallas yesterday afternoon. And the weather here was terrible, if you remember. And so he had texted me and John Berger telling us, you know, I'm supposed to be back tomorrow. I know the baptism is Sunday, but the weather's looking bad. They're saying there could be problems at the airport. But he couldn't get a flight out Friday. And so on Saturday, he goes to the airport in Toronto, Canada, and his flight had been canceled. Couldn't get back to Dallas. But he managed to find a flight to Houston, and he really wanted to get back for this baptism. His daughter is being baptized. He's got, let's don't postpone this. I've got to get back. You know, we would have made other arrangements, but the pressure is kind of on. So he goes and goes to the gate to fly to Houston. His parents live in Houston. He's thinking, maybe I can get my parents to drive me up in the morning, and we'll get here. It'll be just in the nick of time. Maybe that'll work. He sits down in the waiting area at the airport at the gate to fly to Houston, and he looks to his left or right on which side, and he sees a man. They look at each other, and they think, I know you. We go to church together. 
It was Nathan Corey, who's, I think, sitting back there somewhere. I see Nathan back there. And Nathan Corey is in the Toronto airport, of all places, sitting next to Steve Bagby. They're flying to Houston. Because Nathan couldn't fly back to Dallas either, I guess. And, and Dee was there, I suppose, to drive him from Houston to Dallas. And so Steve arrives in Dallas, probably after midnight, wee hours of this morning. And I imagine somewhere along the way at one of those airports he rode a train. He didn't tell me that, but I'm making it up. He rode a train, <laughs> planes, trains, and automobiles, anything he could do to get here for his daughter's baptism. Why? Because he loves his daughter and because he cherishes the invitation that he knows God has graciously extended to her in baptism to come into his kingdom. Now, the invitation of the gospel has been extended and it requires your response Your heavenly Father has called you to come. Now, most of all of you, I think, have been baptized. I think everybody in Dallas has been baptized. (laughs) Most of you have been baptized, I expect. And you need to realize, you should recognize your baptism is a vivid picture of this invitation. And it calls you, in fact, it compels you daily to respond to God. Do you see how thoughtful his invitation is? Do you see that? It has come from before the beginning of time. Do you recognize the ways that you, even today, presume upon that invitation? Put away your excuses. And instead, are you surprised? Are you surprised that you have received that invitation at all? May you ever be surprised. And may you ever be grateful And may you ever be responding, yes, Lord, I will come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, help us to believe your good word to us. Help us to turn away from our own little idols that we cherish and love. And help us to recognize that you've given to us life in Jesus You've invited us to your party. You've invited us to your kingdom. You've called us to come. Father, we pray that you would enable us to say yes and to respond to you every day to say, yes, Lord, I'm coming. I will be there. I'm coming because you have made my way. And Father, help us as we do that to serve each other by calling each other to the same faithfulness. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.